Book Twelve, Part One of the Aeneid by Virgil. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by David Lipa, San Francisco, California. The Aeneid by Virgil, translated by John Dryden. Book Twelve, The Fortunes of War, Part One. When Turnus saw the Latins leave the field, their armies broken and their courage quelled, himself become a mark of public spite, his honor questioned for the promised fight, the more he was with vulgar hate oppressed, the more his fury boiled within his breast. He roused his vigor for the last debate, and raised his haughty soul to meet his fate. As when the swains the Libyan lion chase, he makes a sour retreat, nor mends his pace, but if the pointed javelin pierce his side, the lordly beast returns with double pride. He wrenches out the steel, he roars for pain, his sides he lashes and erects his mane. So Turnus fares, his eyeballs flash with fire, through his wide nostrils clouds of smoke expire. Trembling with rage, around the court he ran, at length approached the king, and thus began. No more excuses or delays. I stand in arms, prepared to combat hand to hand this base deserter of his native land. The Trojan, by his word, is bound to take the same conditions which himself did make. Renew the truce, the solemn rites prepare, and to my single virtue trust the war. The Latians, unconcerned, shall see the fight. This arm, unaided, shall assert your right. Then, if my prostrate body press the plain, to him the crown and beauteous bride remain. To whom the king sedately thus replied, Brave youth, the more your valor has been tried, the more becomes it us, with due respect, to weigh the chance of war which you neglect. You want not wealth, or a successive throne, or cities which your arms have made your own. My towns and treasures are at your command, and stored with blooming beauties is my land. Laurentum more than one Lavinia sees, unmarried, fair, of noble families. Now let me speak, and you with patience hear, things which perhaps may grate a lover's ear, but sound advice, proceeding from a heart, sincerely yours, and free from fraudful art. The gods, by signs, have manifestly shown, no prince Italian-born should heir my throne, oft to have our augurs in prediction skilled, and oft our priests, foreign son revealed, Yet, won by worth that cannot be withstood, bribed by my kindness to my kindred blood, urged by my wife who would not be denied, I promise my Lavinia for your bride. Her from her plighted lord by force I took, all ties of treaties and of honor broke. On your account I waged an impious war, with what success tis needless to declare. I and my subjects feel, and you have had your share. Twice vanquished, while in bloody fields we strive, scarce in our walls we keep our hopes alive. The rolling flood warm, runs warm with human gore. The bones of Latians blanch the neighboring shore. Why put I not an end to this debate, still unresolved and still a slave to fate? If Turnus' death a lasting peace can give, why should I not procure it whilst you live? Should I to doubtful arms your youth betray? What would my kinsmen, the Rutulians, say? And should you fall in flight, which heaven defend, how curse the cause which hastened to his end, the daughter's lover and the father's friend? Weigh in your mind the various chance of war, pity your parent's age, and ease his care. 
Such balmy words he poured, but all in vain, the proffered medicine but provoked the pain. The wrathful youth, disdaining the relief, with intermitting sobs thus vents his grief. The care, O best of fathers, which you take for my concerns, at my desire forsake. Permit me not to languish out my days, but make the best exchange of life for praise. This arm, this lance, can well dispute the prize, and the blood follows where the weapon flies. His goddess mother is not near to shroud the flying coward with an empty cloud. But now the queen, who feared for Turnus' life, and loathed the hard conditions of the strife, held him by force, and dying in his death, in these sad accents gave her sorrow breath. O Turnus, I adjure thee by these tears, and whatever price Amata's honor bears, within thy breast, since thou art all my hope, my sickly mind's repose, my sinking age's prop, since on the safety of thy life alone depends Latinus and the Latian throne, refuse me not this one, this only prayer, to wave the combat and pursue the war. Whatever chance attends this fatal strife, think it includes in thine Amata's life. I cannot live a slave or see my throne usurped by strangers or a Trojan son. At this a flood of tears Lavinia shed, a crimson blush her beauteous face overspread, varying her cheeks by turns with white and red. The driving colors, never at a stay, run here and there, and flush and fade away. Delightful change, thus Indian ivory shows, which the bordering paint of purple glows, or lilies damasked by the neighboring rose. The lover gazed, and burning with desire, the more he looked, the more he fed the fire. Revenge! and jealous rage and secret spite rolled in his breast and roused him to the fight then fixing on the queen his ardent eyes firm to his first intent he thus replies o mother do not by your tears prepare such boding omens and prejudge the war resolved on fight i am no longer free to shun my death if heaven my death decree then turning to the herald thus pursues Go greet the Trojan with ungrateful news. Denounce from me that when tomorrow's light shall gild the heavens, he need not urge the fight. The Trojan and Rutulian troops no more shall die with mutual blood the Latian shore. Our single swords the quarrel shall decide, and to the victor be the beauteous bride. He said, and striding on with speedy pace, he sought his coursers of the Thracian race. At his approach they tossed their heads on high, and proudly neighing promised victory. The sires of these Arithia sent from far, to grace Pilimenus when he went to war. The drifts of Thracian snows were scarce so white, nor northern winds in fleetness matched their flight. Officious grooms stand ready by his side, and some with combs their flowing manes divide, and others stroke their chests and gently soothe their pride. He sheathed his limbs and arms, a tempered mass of golden metal those, and mountain brass. Then to his head his glittering helm he tied, and girt his faithful falchion to his side. In his Atanian forge the god of fire, that falchion labored to the hero's sire. Immortal keenness on the blade bestowed, and plunged it hissing in the Stygian flood, propped on a pillar which the ceiling bore, was placed the lance a runcan actor war, which with such force he brandished in his hand, 
The tough ash trembled like an osier wand, Then cried, O ponderous spoil of actors slain, And never yet by Turnus tossed in vain, Fail not this day thy wanted force, But go, sent by this hand to fierce the Trojan foe, Give me to tear his corslet from his breast, And from that eunuch head to rend the crest, Dragged in the dust his frizzled hair to soil, Hot from the vexing iron and smeared with fragrant oil. Thus, while he raves, from his wide nostrils flies A fiery steam, and sparkles from his eyes, So fair is the bull his loved female's sight. Proudly he bellows and preludes the fight. He tries his goring horns against the tree, And meditates his absent enemy. He pushes at the winds, he digs the strand With his black hoofs, and spurns the yellow sand. Nor less the Trojan in his Lemnian arms To future fight his manly courage warms. He wets his fury, and with joy prepares To terminate at once the lingering war. To cheer his chiefs, and tender son relates what heaven had promised and expounds the fates then to the latian king he sends to cease the rage of arms and ratify the peace the morn ensuing from the mountain's height had scarcely spread the skies with rosy light the ethereal cursors bounding from the sea from out their flaming nostrils breathed the day when now the trojan and rutulian guard in friendly labor joined the list prepared Beneath the walls they measure out the space, Then sacred altars rear on sods of grass, Where, with religious, their common gods they place, In purest white the priests their heads attire, And living waters bear, and holy fire, And o'er their linen hoods and shaded hair Long twisted wreaths of sacred varian wear. In order, issuing from the town appears, the Latin legion, armed with pointed spears, and from the fields, advancing on a line, the Trojan and the Tuscan forces join. Their various arms afford a pleasing sight. A peaceful train they seem, in peace prepared for fight. Betwixt the ranks the proud commanders ride, glittering with gold, and vests in purple dyed. Here, Menesthus, author of the Memian line, and there Messapus, born of seed divine. The sign is given, and round the listed space each man in order fills his proper place. Reclining on their ample shields they stand, and fix their pointed lances in the sand. Now studious of the sight, a numerous throng of either sex, promiscuous, old and young, swarm the town. By those who rest behind, the gates and walls and houses topped are lined. Meantime the queen of heaven beheld the sight, with eyes unpleased from Mount Albano's height, since called Albano by succeeding fame, but then an empty hill without a name. She thence surveyed the field, the Trojan powers, the Latian squadrons, and Laurentine towers. Then thus the goddess of the skies bespoke, with sighs and tears, the goddess of the lake, King Turnus' sister, once a lovely maid, ere to the lust of lawless Jove betrayed, compressed by force, but by the grateful god, now made the nighest of the neighboring flood. O nymph, the pride of living lakes, said she, O most renowned and most beloved by me, long hast thou known, nor need I to record, the wanton sallies of my wandering lord, of every Latian fair whom Jove misled, to mount by stealth my violated bed, 
to thee alone i grudged not his embrace but gave a part of heaven and an unenvied place now learn from me thy near approaching grief nor think my wishes want to thy relief while fortune favor nor heaven's king denied to lend my succor to the latian side i saved thy brother and the sinking state but now he struggles with unequal fate and goes with gods averse o'ermatched in might to meet inevitable death in fight nor must i break the truce nor can sustain the sight thou if thou darest thy present aid supply it well becomes a sister's care to try at this the lovely nymph with grief oppressed thrice tore her hair and beat her comely breast to whom saturnia thus thy tears are late haste snatch him if he can be snatched from fate new tumults kindle violate the truce who knows what changeful fortune may produce it's not a crime to attempt what i decree or if it were discharge the crime on me she said and sailing on the winged wind left the sad nymph suspended in her mind and now pomp the peaceful kings appear four steeds the chariot of the latinus bears twelve golden beams around his temple play to mark his lineage from the god of day two snowy coursers turnus chariot yoke and in his hand two massy spears he shook then issued from the camp in arms divine aeneas author of the roman line and by his side ascanius took his place the second hope of rome's immortal race adorned in white a reverend priest appears and offerings to the flaming altars bears a porket and a lamb that never suffered shears then to the rising sun he turns his eyes and strews the beasts designed for sacrifice with salt and meal with like officious care he marks their foreheads and he clips their hair betwixt their horns the purple wine he sheds with the same generous juice the flame he feeds aeneas then unsheathed his shining sword and thus with pious prayers the gods adored all-seeing sun and thou ausonian soil for which i have sustained so long a toil thou king of heaven and thou the queen of air propitious now and reconciled by prayer thou god of war whose unresisted sway the labors and events of arms obey ye living fountains and ye running floods all powers of ocean all ethereal gods hear and bear record if i fall in field or recreant in the fight to turnus yield my trojans shall increase evander's town ascanius shall renounce the estonian crown all claims all questions of debate shall cease nor he nor they with force infringe the peace but if my juster arms prevail in fight as sure they shall for if i divine aright my trojans shall not o'er the italians reign both equal both unconquered shall remain joined in their laws their lands and their abodes i ask but altars for my weary gods the care of those religious rites be mine the crown to king latinus i resign his be the sovereign sway nor will i share his power in peace or his command in war for me my friends another town shall frame and bless the rising towers with fair lavinia's name thus he 
Then, with erected eyes and hands, the Latian king before his altar stands. By the same heaven, said he, and earth, and main, and all the powers that all three contain, by hell below, and by that upper god whose thunder signs the peace, who seals it with his nod. So let Latona's double offspring hear, and double-fronted Janus what I swear. I touch the sacred altars, touch the flames, and all those powers attest, and all their names. Whatever chance befall on either side, no term of time this union shall divide, no force, no fortune shall my vows unbind, or shake the steadfast tenor of my mind. Not though the circling seas should break their bound, o'erflow the shores, or sap the solid ground, not though the lamps of heaven their spheres forsake, hurled down and hissing in the nether lake, even as this royal scepter, for he bore a scepter of his hand, shall never more shoot out in branches or renew the birth, an orphan now, cut from the mother earth, by the keen axe dishonored of its hair, and cased in brass for Latian kings to bear. When thus in public view the peace was tied, with solemn vows and sworn on either side, all dues performed which holy rites require, the victim beasts are slain before the fire, the trembling entrails from their bodies torn, and to the fattened flames in chargers borne. Already the Rutulians deem their man o'ermatched in arms before the fight began. First rising fears are whispered through the crowd, then gathering sound they murmur more aloud. Now side to side they measure with their eyes the champion's bulk, their sinews and their size. The nearer their approach, the more is known, the apparent disadvantage of their own. Turnus himself appears in public sight, conscious of his fate, desponding of the fight. Slowly he moves, and at his altar stands, with eyes dejected and with trembling hands. And while he mutters undistinguished prayers, a livid deadness in his cheeks appears. With anxious pleasure, when Juturna viewed the increasing fright of the mad multitude, when their short sighs and thickening sobs she heard, and found their ready minds for change prepared. Dissembling her immortal form she took, Camertus mien, his habit and his look. A chief of ancient blood, in arms well known, was his great sire, and he his greater son. His shape assumed, amid the ranks she ran, and humoring their first motions, thus began. For shame, Rutulians, can you bear the sight of one exposed for all in single fight? Can we, before the face of heaven, confess our courage colder, our numbers less? View all the Trojan host, the Arcadian band, and Tuscan army, count them as they stand. Undaunted to the battle if we go, scarce every second man will share a foe. Turnus, tis true, in this unequal strife, shall lose with honor his devoted life, or change it, rather, for immortal fame, succeeding to the gods from whence he came. But you, a servile and inglorious band, for foreign lords shall sow your native land. Those fruitful fields your fighting fathers gained, which have so long their lazy sons sustained. With words like these she carried her design. A rising murmur runs across the line. Then even the city troops and Latians, tired with tedious war, seem with new souls inspired their champion's fate with pity they lament and of the league so lately sworn repent 
nor fails the goddess to foment the rage with lying wonders and a false presage but adds a sign which present to their eyes inspires new courage and a glad surprise for sudden in the fiery tracts above appears in pomp the imperial bird of jove a plump of fowl he spies that swims the lakes and o'er their head his sounding pinions shakes then stooping on the fairest of the train in his strong talons trust a silver swan. The Italians wonder at the unusual sight, but while he lags and labors in his flight, behold, the dastard fowl return anew, and with united force the foe pursue. Clamorous around the royal hawk they fly, and thickening in a cloud o'ershade the sky. They cuff, they scratch, they cross his airy course, nor can the encumbered burn sustain their force but vexed not vanquished drops the ponderous prey and lightened of his burthen wings his way the ausonian bands with shouts salute the sight eager of action and demand the fight then king toluminus versed in augur's arts cries out and thus his boasted skill imparts at length tis granted what i long desired this this is what my frequent vows required. Ye gods, I take your omen and obey. Advance, my friends, and charge! I lead the way. These are the foreign foes whose impious band, like that rapacious bird, infests our land. But soon, like him, they shall be forced to the sea, by strength united, and forego the prey. Your timely succor to your country bring. Haste to the rescue, and redeem your king. He said, and pressing onward through the crew poised his lifted arm and his lance he threw the winged weapon whistling in the wind came driving on nor missed the mark designed at once the cornel rattled in the skies at once tumultuous shouts and clamors rise nine brothers in a goodly band there stood born of arcadian mixed with tuscan blood gylippus's sons the fatal javelin threw aimed at the midmost of the friendly crew. A passage through the jointed arms it found, just where the belt was to the body bound, and struck the gentle youth extended on the ground. Then fired with pious rage, the generous train run madly forward to revenge the slain, and some with eager haste their javelins throw, and some with sword in hand assault the foe. The wished insult the Latin troops embrace, and meet their ardor in the middle space. The Trojans, Tuscans, and Arcadian line with equal courage obviate their design. Peace leaves the violated fields, and hate both armies urges to their mutual fate. With impious haste their altars are o'erturned, the sacrifice half-broiled and half-unburned. Thick storms of steel from either army fly, and clouds of clashing darts obscure the sky. Brands from the fire are missive weapons made, With chargers, bowls, and all the priestly trade. Latinus, frightened, hastens from the fray, And bears his unregarded gods away. These on horses vault, those yoke the car, The rest with swords on high run headlong to the war. Messapus, eager to confound the peace, Spurred his hot courser through the fighting priests. At King Alestes, by his purple known, at Tuscan prince, and by his regal crown, and, with a shock encountering, bore him down,
Backwards he fell, and as his fate designed, the ruins of an altar were behind. There, pitching on his shoulders and his head, amid the scattering fires he lay supinely spread. The beamy spear descending from above, his cuirass pierced, and through his body drove. Then with a scornful smile the victor cries, The gods have found a fitter sacrifice, greedy of the spoils. The Italians strip the dead of his rich armor and uncrown his head. Priest Corianus armed his better hand from his own altar with a blazing brand, and, as Abusus with a thundering pace, advanced to battle, dashed it on his face. His bristly beard shines out with sudden fires. The crackling crop a noisome scent expires. Following the blow, he seized his curling crown with his left hand, his other cast him down, the prostrate body with his knees he pressed, and plunged his holy poniard in his breast. While Podelirus with his sword pursued the shepherd Alsus through the flying crowd, swiftly he turns and aims a deadly blow full on the front of his unwary foe. The broad axe enters with a crashing sound and cleaves the chin with one continued wound. Warm blood and mingled brains besmear his arms around. An iron sleep his stupid eyes oppressed, And sealed their heavy lids in endless rest. But good Aeneas rushed amidst the bands. Bare was his head, and naked were his hands, In sign of truce. Then thus he cried aloud, What sudden rage, what new desire of blood, Inflames your altered minds? O Trojans, cease from impious arms, Nor violate the peace. By human sanctions and by laws divine, the terms are all agreed, the war is mine. Dismiss your fears, and let the fight ensue. This hand alone shall right the gods and you, our injured altars and their broken vow. To this avenging sword, the faithless Turnus owe. Thus while he spoke, unmindful of defense, a winged arrow struck the pious prince. But whether from some human hand it came, or hostile god, is left unknown by fame. No human hand or hostile god was found to boast the triumph of so base a wound. When Turnus saw the Trojan quit the plain, his chiefs dismayed, his troops a fainting train, the unhoped event his heightened soul inspires. At once his arms and coursers he requires. Then, with a leap, his lofty chariot gains, and with a ready hand assumes the reins. He drives impetuous and wherever he goes, he leaves behind a lane of slaughtered foes. These his lance reaches, over those he rolls his rapid car, and crushes out their souls. In vain the vanquished fly, the victor sends the dead men's weapons at their living friends. Thus on the banks of Hebrus' freezing flood, the god of battles, in his angry mood, clashing his sword against his brazen shield, let loose the reins and scours along the field. Before the wind his fiery coursers fly, Groans the sad earth, resounds the rattling sky, Wrath, terror, treason, tumult, and despair, Dire faces and deformed surround the car, Friends of the god and followers of the war, With fury not unlike, nor less disdain, Exulting Turnus flies along the plain, his smoking horses at their utmost speed he lashes on and urges over the dead. Their fetlocks run with blood, and when they bound, the gore and gathering dust are dashed around. 
Thamyris and Pholus, masters of the war, he killed at hand, but Stephanus afar. From far the sons of Imbracus he slew, Glaucus and ladies of the Lycian crew, both taught to fight on foot, in battle joined, or mount the courser that outstrips the wind. Meantime, Eumedes, vaunting in the field, new fired the Trojans, and their foes repelled. The son of Dolan bore his grandsire's name, but emulated more his father's name. His guileful father sent a nightly spy, the Grecian camp, in order to descry hard enterprise, and well he might require Achilles' car and horses for his hire. But met upon the scout, the Aetolian prince, in death bestowed a juster recompense. Fierce Turnus viewed the Trojan from afar, and launched his javelin from his lofty car, then, lightly leaping down, pursued the blow, and pressing with his foot his prostrate foe, wrenched from his feeble hold the shining sword, and plunged it in the bosom of its lord. Possess, said he, the fruit of all thy pains, and measure at thy length our Latian plains. Thus are my foes rewarded by my hand, thus may they build their town, and thus enjoy the land. Then Darius Butes Sybaris he slew, whom o'er his neck his floundering courser threw. As when loud Boreas with his blustering train stoops from above, incumbent on the main, wherever he flies, he drives the rack before, and rolls the billows on the Aegean shore. So, where resistless Turnus takes his course, the scattered squadrons bend before his force. His crest of horse's hair is blown behind by adverse air, and rustles in the wind. This haughty Phegeus saw with high disdain, and as the chariot rolled along the plain, light from the ground he leapt, and seized the rein. Thus hung in air, he still retained his hold, the coursers frighted and their course controlled. The lance of Turnus reached him as he hung, and pierced his plated arms, but passed along and only raised the skin. He turned and held against his threatening foe his ample shield, then called for aid. But while he cried in vain, the chariot bore him backward on the plain. He lies reversed, the victor king descends, and strikes so justly where his helmet ends, he lops his head. The Latian fields are drunk with streams that issue from the bleeding trunk. While he triumphs, and while the Trojans yield, the wounded prince is forced to leave the field. Strong Menethysus and Achates often tried, and young Ascanius weeping by his side conduct him to his tent. Scarce can he rear his limbs from the earth, supported on his spear. Resolved in mind, regardless of the smart, he tugs with both his hands and breaks the dart. The steel remains. No readier way he found to draw the weapon than to enlarge the wound. Eager of fight, impatient of delay, he begs, and his unwilling friends obey. Iapis was at hand to prove his art, whose blooming youth so fired Apollo's heart, that for his love he proffered to bestow his tuneful harp and his unerring bow. The pious youth, more studious how to save his aged sire, now sinking to the grave, preferred the powers of plants and silent praise of healing art before Phoebean bays. Propped on his lance, the pensive hero stood, and heard and saw unmoved the mourning crowd. The famed physician tucked his robes around with ready hands and hastens to the wound. With gentle touches he performs his part, this way and that, soliciting the dart.
and exercises all his heavenly art, all softening simples, known of sovereign use, he presses out, and pours their noble juice, their first infused to lenify the pain, he tugs with pincers, but he tugs in vain. Then to the patron of his art he prayed, the patron of his art refused his aid. Meantime the war approaches to the tents, the alarm grows hotter, and the noise augments. The driving dust proclaims the danger near, and first their friends and then their foes appear. Their friends retreat, their foes pursue the rear. The camp is filled with terror and affright, the hissing shafts within the trench alight. An undistinguished noise ascends the sky, the shouts those who kill and the groans of those who die. But now the goddess mother moved with grief and pierced with pity hastens her relief. A branch of healing dittany she brought, which in the Cretan fields with care she sought. Rough is the stern which woolly leaves surround, the leaves with flowers, the flowers with purple crowned, well known to wounded goats, a sure relief, to draw the pointed steel and ease the grief. This Venus brings, in clouds involved, and brews the extracted liquor with ambrosian dews and odorous panacea. Unseen she stands, tempering the mixture with her heavenly hands, and pours it in a bowl, already crowned with juice of medicinal herbs prepared to bathe the wound. The leech, unknowing of superior art, which aids the cure, with this foments the part, and in a moment ceased the raging smart. Stanched is the blood, and in the bottom stands the steel, but scarcely touched with tender hands, moves up and follows of its own accord, and health and vigor are, are at once restored. Iapis first perceived the closing wound, and first the footsteps of a god he found. Arms, arms, he cries, the sword and shield prepare, and send the willing chief renewed to war. This is no mortal work, no cure of mine, nor art's effect, but done by hands divine. Some god our general to the battle sends, Some god preserved his life for greater ends. The hero arms in haste, His hands enfold his thighs With quiches of refulgent gold. Inflamed to the fight, And rushing to the field, That hand sustaining the celestial shield, This grips the lance, And with such vigor shakes, That to the rest the beamy weapon quakes. Then with a close embrace he strained his son, and kissing through his helmet thus began, My son, from my example learn the war, in camps to suffer and in fields to dare. But happier chance than mine attends thy care. This day my hand, thy tender age, shall shield, and crowns with honor the, of the conquered field. Thou, when thy riper years send thee forth to toils of war, be mindful of my worth, Assert thy birthright, and in arms be known for Hector's nephew and Aeneas's son, he said, and striding issued on the plain. Antaeus and Menesthus and a numerous train attend his steps, the rest their weapons take, and crowding to the field their camps forsake. A cloud of blinding dust is raised around, labors beneath their feet the trembling ground. Now Turnus, posted on a hill from far, beheld the progress of the moving war. With him the Latins viewed the covered plains, and the chill blood ran backwards in their veins. 
Juturna saw the advancing troops appear, and heard the hostile sound, and fled for fear. Aeneas leads and draws a sweeping train, closed in their ranks and pouring on the plain, as when a whirlwind rushing to the shore from the mid-ocean drives the waves before. The painful hind with heavy heart foresees the flatted fields and slaughter of the trees. With like impetuous rage the prince appears before his doubled front, nor less destruction bears. And now both armies shock in open field. Osiris is by strong Thimbraeus killed. Archidas, Euphens, Epulon are slain, all famed in arms and of the Latian train, by Gaius, Menesthus, and Achates hand. The fatal augur falls, by whose command the truce was broken, and whose lance imbrued with Trojan blood the unhappy fight renewed. Loud shouts and clamors rend the liquid sky, and o'er the field frighted Latins fly. The prince disdains the dastards to pursue, nor moves to meet in arms the fighting few. Turnus alone, amid the dusky plain, he seeks, and to the combat calls in vain. Juturna heard and seized with mortal fear, forced from the beam her brother's charioteer, assumes his shape, his armor, and his mien, and like Mystiscus in his seat is seen. End of Book Twelve, Part One Recording by David Lipa, San Francisco, California.